So in a lot of our relationships, you know, whether it's friendships or marriages or sibling relationships, you can almost always point to big, exciting, awesome moments as the type of things that bring you closer together. Right? You can talk about your, your wedding day. You could talk about honeymoons, uh, when your first child was born. You could talk about that awesome trip y'all took after college, right? All those things bind us together. They're, they're big, exciting moments. But for most of our relationships and most of our friendships, we're bound by an innumerable amount of smaller, almost mundane type of moments. John Gottman talks about this. John Gottman is this, this world-famous, really, really good. If you ever do premarital counseling with me or marital counseling, at some point we'll talk about Gottman because his work has been phenomenal about how marriages succeed and why they might fail. And he talks a lot about, right at the beginning, of the idea of the emotional bank account. Now, I don't think the emotional bank account is something that is just limited to married couples. I think any good relationship, you could talk about an emotional bank account. And what Gottman talks about is that most relationships can be measured by their shared emotional bank account. Basically, it's the more ways that you turn towards each other, the more ways that you show positive interaction with each other, well, that adds deposits into the bank account. And then because we are imperfect, we don't always get everything right. Sometimes we end up taking withdrawals from that emotional bank account. And typically when relationships go sideways, it's when that emotional bank account is nearly empty and bankrupt. That's usually when trouble will start. And Gottman found that it took five positive deposits into an emotional bank account for every one withdrawal. Now, any of you who have been in any kind of friendship or relationship for a long time know how that can feel. And so what Godman says is, you know, instead of always thinking that you've got to do nothing but big things, right? You know, getting, getting uh, you know, outside somebody's balcony and putting a boom box up, you know. Instead, it's a lot of the little things that happen day in and day out that over time build up that bank account. It's checking in on your friend and seeing how they're doing. It's noticing some of the things that your spouse is doing while, um, while you've been away. It's all these little things that over time start to build up that emotional bank account. And so eventually, if you have to withdraw, you've still got something left. But it's a five to one ratio. And listen, our faith relationship can be like that as well. It's not unusual. Many of us can point to a mountaintop experience in our faith journey. We can say, you know, I remember when I was at this camp and we were out in the wilderness and there was that person who was playing the guitar so well and we just kept singing these songs and I put my hands up in the air and I felt Jesus right next to me. I felt the Holy Spirit on top of me like this axe thing. I experienced it myself. And that's great. Mountaintop experiences are so important and very quickly can fill up a spiritual bank account, right? We're not even talking about emotional, but spiritual bank accounts. They fill it right up. And then you come down off that mountaintop experience, right? And real life starts again. 
And for a while, you just clamor for that time up on the mountaintop again. But you know, spiritual bank account continues to get withdrawn from, continues to get withdrawn from. Those negative moments start to spin up. And then before long, we could feel spiritually bankrupt. And certainly a lot of churches in the world, what they try to do is they say, every Sunday we're going to try to get you a mountaintop experience again, right? We're going we're gonna to do all that we can to make you feel it, get your hands up in the air like you just don't care. And you hear a good message, and you go home and you feel like you got a little bit of that emotional bank account, that spiritual bank account filled up, right? Another mountaintop. And so it's easy to start chasing mountaintops week after week after week. Then there are some churches that make their livelihood on people chasing mountaintops. And maybe that's enough because you don't have too much withdrawing, not too much withdrawing. But before long, the bankruptcy sets in. And then you wonder why you have the relationship in the first place. So the question might be, instead of, like Gottman said, instead of thinking that we have to chase mountaintop moments, big moments with our relationships, what is it like to have lots of little moments along the way? Now, this is a funny day to reflect on this, I realize, because the story in Acts is about as big of a mountaintop experience as you get in most of the New Testament. You can talk about the Holy Week story being this massive mountaintop moment, and then you've got Pentecost, right? Rushing winds and fire upon heads, being accused of drunkenness. This sounds a lot like most of the college trips we took with our friends, right? And you know what? It had the same bonding power with those folks as that party did, right? That, that week that you're like, man, we really had a week, didn't we? And 40 years later, y'all are like, yep, we had a week. Pentecost was like that. It was a deep connection, something crazy, something that you go back and you tell decades later. Could you imagine having been here and telling your grandkids about the Pentecost experience? Phew. It was a moment that everyone could see that something significant was going to happen. The Holy Spirit had come, it was here, and it was going to change the way that the world acted from then on out. The church had come to be a part of the world. This storyline, this Pentecost moment is with us today. Again, it's crazy sometimes to think these things that happened a couple millennia ago that were written down are part of the reason why you show up here on Sunday morning, but this is one of those things that does that. You're here because of this Pentecost moment. Talk about a mountaintop. But I wonder what it was like the next day. What was it like the day after the first Pentecost? I wonder if it's like the festival that you go to after the final song ends. Wads of paper listlessly rolling across trampled and browned grass. You remember something significant happened just a little while ago. You were there. And yet, the space doesn't quite feel the same. 
napkins rolling like tumbleweed across a previously holy ground. Maybe hungover from the excitement the next day, did those crowds have to start going back to work? I see nothing about the Holy Spirit providing a steady income to those folks who experience Pentecost, so they've probably got to get back to doing stuff. And maybe the vibes lasted a little longer, but you know, how do you get back to that moment, really? I mean, when we're talking mountaintops and mountaintops, you can go back to another festival. You can go back to a lot of the things that you've done in the past, but Pentecost, boy, that was a once-in-time opportunity. You just ain't going to be able to go back. And it seems like maybe in the gospel passage we have today, Jesus was already planning for how to manage the coming off the mountain when he told the disciples about the Holy Spirit's arrival. You see, in the beginning, the disciples wanted more. Philip's like, hey, Jesus, it's cool that you're doing all this stuff, but I want to see God. I want to see God. And Jesus' response is, well, listen, if you've been with me, then you've kind of already seen God. We're, we're kind of close. I don't actually do anything on necessarily my own volition, but I do it through God in me. But hey, I get it. A lot of heavy stuff going on with the disciples over this time. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk to, to, to Dad. And we've got a third friend who's going to come. And the way that the Greek talks about this friend, I really like in Eugene Peterson's translation, is this word paraclete, defining the Holy Spirit. And the word has almost like a legal intonation to it. It's somebody who was there to be beside you and represent you, was there to advocate on your behalf, was to talk about the good that you were. This is who Jesus is sending along after he goes away. A friend. A confidant. Somebody who speaks on your behalf. Someone to walk along beside you and have a spiritual bank account with, it seems. Now, it might not always be big mountaintop moments. Remember, Paul talks about this same spirit when we don't know what to pray, when we, the words get caught in our mouth, the spirit intercedes on our behalf to pray to God. This is somebody who gets us, man. Somebody who we walk along beside in life's journey. We can't figure out what to pray for. We don't understand what's going on. When we're managing the day-to-day off the mountaintop, it is the Spirit that speaks for us, and we turn inward to have a relationship with God through the Spirit. The Spirit can literally be the part of the Godhead that says, hey, how are you doing? What's, What's going on? Hey, I appreciate the way that you cared for that person yesterday. Good work. Not the mountaintops, not the thing to chase after, but the day-to-day of walking through life. And friends, when we think about an Easter moment becoming an Easter movement, eventually the distance between resurrection and the day that we find ourselves gets further and further away. After all, if it's not a moment but a movement, as we've been talking about 
for the last few years, a few weeks rather, um, we're going to keep walking in some direction. And the place where we started from by nature will be a little further away. And Pentecost really is one of these last holy days. We've got another one next week, but really we've got a couple things coming up. And then we set sail into ordinary time. The colors will no longer be red or white, but they'll be green. Green being the symbol of life and growth and verdancy. It's a time where we spend a lot of time trying to understand what it is to journey off of the mountain of Easter and Pentecost. How do we companion with one another? And this mountaintop moment here today gives us some excitement, but it also gives us a way to continue to walk. So how do we make it through these next few weeks? How do we make it in day to day? Well, of course, we could chase the mountains, and sometimes the mountains show up, and it is beautiful, and it is meaningful. But it might just simply be walking with a friend. And I mean that figuratively and literally. Because if the Spirit is connected to each one of us, what is it like to walk with somebody and just ask, hey, how's your day been? You doing okay? I appreciate what you're doing. I value you. Might that be the everyday of the Holy Spirit filling a bank account with each other? Friends, I promise you, I, I know, you know, we talked about this open house coming up, and it's going to be a crazy next couple years here. A lot of good things are coming up the pike. We've made good progress already, and we're going to continue to go. But the truth is, is once the mountaintop moment is over, a new building gets built, or we do all this sort of stuff, we celebrate, what comes after that? It's the Spirit's journey beside us. It's all the little things we do with each other that keeps filling up that bank account. So friends, let's enjoy the mountain. Put your hands up. Don't feel the need to chase it because there is a companion right beside you that will walk with you no matter where you go. Thanks be to God.